today we are taking it straight to the source. We are collectively cracking the all-important source code. In other words, may the source be with you. May the source be with us. Yes, we are taking some of comic books, most popular tropes, and we are going all the way back 20 years, 40 years, 50 years, further. John Romita Sr., Todd McFarlane, Art Adams, Jim Aparo, so many different artists in the mix. We even go to, to, to popular movies. Did, did, the, did the reflection in the knife really come from a comic book anyway? Look, we go to the X-Men, we go to the Outback. Why is that run not more celebrated? We attempt to answer all of these questions and so much more on an all-new episode of Observations. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld. I have been in the comic book business, the publishing business, writing business, comic book business of, uh, of, 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 of making sequential art comic books for 37 years. I am obsessed with talking about them. If you have listened to one or two or a dozen of these episodes, uh, y- you will find that that is where my passion and my love are contained. I cannot talk about comics enough. As as I'm recording this, I am certain that yet another comic book film has been released into the public. It probably cost $100 million, and it's likely going to chart number one. Whether it's profitable or not, doesn't matter. It's going to chart number one. Black Adam charted number one. These movies, they they just, they are now a part of our collective uh, obsession. We, we love superheroes. We love them on our shirts, on our on our lunch pails. For those of us who are still carrying lunch pails and thermoses, and and our school supplies, and we we love them in our in our video game consoles. We love them on our streaming shows. We just love them. We cannot get enough of them. And I can't stop talking about them, especially when it comes to the source of the material, the actual source, which is in most cases, one hundred percent of the time, the comic books. And wait for it, better. The comics are better, and 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 I look up to so many comic book uh, mega talents. That these are my heroes. These are the the people who crafted the original versions of the stories that you now see with lights, camera, action, actors, special effects. Whether it's filmed in the volume or on a traditional soundstage with a blue screen, I am I am a fan of the source material, the comic books written and drawn by the comic book talents. And we are going to really dig deep into sourcing today because I got sourcing on my mind. No, we are not going to draw a tether back to every single idea, concept, design, and, and, and connect it to the comic book pages. We could do that. Uh, we would be here a long time. As with every topic that we cover on every different episode, I can only fit so much. I try and hit the highest of high points. And of course, you're going to be like, but you didn't get to this. I tried. I tried my best to get to the most relevant point, and we're going to cover some of those. And we're going to get it. We're, we're going to do sourcing really easy today because the thing with sourcing that I'm, I'm speaking of today actually really covers the comic book realm. And I'm going to walk you through, and I think a very fun manner, a, a way that sourcing has gone awry because there is none, because no one cares, because people don't want to take the time out and get it right. They would just rather blather it. They would just rather spit it out. I've experienced this. Again, you don't do this for 37 years, going on 38, and not encounter this in one form 
or the other all the time. And it's not offensive to me. It's offensive to the people who are getting looked over in regards to the sourcing. Let's take for for instance, or again, this is this has nothing to even do with films, but comic books released once a week. They are shelved at your store. You peruse them. Uh, what, what is very important, just like a movie trailer or a movie poster, the cover to a comic is essential. It is essential in in grabbing your attention and 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 getting you to try it out. I can't tell you how many times covers have convinced me to to you know look on the inside. Now today's covers are much more, as we all know, pinup driven. I've done my fair share. Can't throw rocks. Have done my fair share or more. Then my fair share of pinup covers, cool poses, action shots, uh, the, the the characters, costume torn, ripped, the, the the lead character, you know, battle damaged. Been doing that for for three plus decades. It's always a selling point. Uh, when you tear Spider Man's costume, you tear Daredevil's costume, Batman's costume, Wolverine's costume. It looks cool. It, how did it get torn? How bad was that fight? It's it it is at that point a bit of a a storytelling and a plot device. This particular device, and I and I love to talk about it because I get it often. I get it often, and uh, whether I'm doing this show or doing the the whatnot live feeds, where I get to interact with people as they are talking back to me on, on screen, the entirety of whether I'm on 60 minutes, 120 minutes, three hours, four hours. There's there's talk back and forth, and we are going to utilize. The example of the proper sourcing with a very popular cover, what's called becoming cover trope, but it is 100,000 times identified to the wrong source. The cover trope is the reflection cover, the menace in the reflection, the menace in the reflection of the goggles, of the sword blade, of the gun, of the knife, of the claws. All of these have seen, I have seen all of these covered. Recently, I saw a, uh, a a a a particular issue of the uh, Boom Studios title, a title you you are likely familiar with, called "Something Is Killing the Children." This is the most recent issue that I saw. It actually had a cool chrome effect on top of everything else, and the lead character, or one of the primary characters of the book, Erica Slaughter, has a blade in her hand, and there is a reflection in it, and that reflection is also you because it's reflective. It's got a chrome cover, so it's reflecting your reflection. It is kind of the apex mountain, uh, if you would, of of the of the re- reflection trope. Now, so many people immediately run and identify a cover from 1987, and, and a cover, by the way, that just came in under the wire in 1987, in October, October of 1987. A seminal comic, one that made my... I, I, I jumped... When I grabbed it, I was working in comics at the time. I was drawing Hawk and Dove, and I could not believe how awesome this cover was. Uh, The cover to Hulk 1, no, sorry, Hulk 340. Hulk 340, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, It is an epic cover. Uh, It it is a cover that I have seen reproduced poorly by many. Uh, Hulk 340 has Wolverine screaming as he pops his claws and Hulk is screaming back at him. I will tell you that for me, the reflection is not the most effective part of this cover. 
the the reflection uh, is is a tremendous device to get both yells. Wolverine is yelling, screaming, primal. He's as feral as I have ever seen him depicted at that point, prior to that point, or since. It is an epic. It is one of my favorite Todd McFarlane pieces. It is so well drawn. It really is well illustrated. And uh, the, the ferocity and and the the sheer just anger and energy emoting from Wolverine as he screams, uh, it, it, it's it's... It's it's super dynamic. It's it's really, I'm, I'm staring at it right now, and I can't stop staring at it. And that's why I keep talking about it. But then even more so is the Hulk in the reflection of the three claws screaming back at him. There is a lot of teeth on this cover. There is a lot of yelling. You can hear this cover. I hear, you know, ah, ah, ah. Okay, that, that that's what I'm hearing. Sorry if that your your ears just got a little bit of punishment. Uh, apologies, uh, but but. There is a yell fest. This demands you open this cover. And, and honestly, you're looking at two of the most popular characters in the history of Marvel at that time. Wolverine has climbed to the top of popularity mountain. He is more popular than any other character uh, at Marvel. He is the face of the X-Men, his own book, Wolverine. And whenever wherever he goes, he gets bumps in sales. At this point, he is battling Punisher. He is battling Ghost Rider. He's everywhere. Wolverine is, he either is about, he is doing that or he is about to because he is, this guy's dance card is, is full. He is being booked all the time. Two of the most popular Marvel characters are facing off and they are screaming at each other. And the secondary scream is facilitated via the reflection. And the cool thing is how Todd has the fist held up so tightly against his against Wolverine's face so to give you that Hulk face so you get a yell and a yell I mean if you look the mouths are separated by you know maybe uh three quarters of an inch Hulk's screaming mouth and Wolverine's mouth it's very effective it is not however the first time that a popular reflection cover has grabbed people's attention now when I saw this cover I immediately went to two places because again i am spending all of my disposable income most of my youth on comic books the comic book store at this point when these are starting to come out 1983 84 85 86 87 i'm going to the comic store twice a week i'm doing a midweek visit and then i'm doing a weekend visit or i'm doing a saturday and a sunday i'm living in a comic book store this is my obsession this is what i want to do for with with the rest of my life is make comics so i consume them as much as i can i can't possibly afford all of them so i go i i peruse them i look at back issues i look at magazines i buy what i can i'm i'm a regular consumer at all the different stores in the area during this period there was a gentleman and we've talked about him he's huge 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 uh influence on on all of the gentlemen who make up the image you know the image um uh, basically founders group our our conclave if if you would have it our 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 uh what was a cooler name uh our our cadre <laughs> our cabal okay we are all hugely influenced by one arthur adams art adams art adams was uh working on longshot at this time a series that would launch in 1985 but he is banking pages and what marvel is doing is they're giving him cover work uh he did some great spider-man covers he did one of the early spider-man in the black costume covers well before long shot was released uh they were he was doing uh stories for pacific comic short stories 
But he was on the scene at conventions in association with Marvel, and they were giving him cool covers. One of these covers on a popular line of... There was a popular line from Marvel called Marvel Fanfare. So popular that they launched it, launched Marvel Fanfare with a four-part X-Men story. Now, you can save it. Part of that was an inventory story. Yes, yes, it was, and they built it out, and they completed it. It was originally, I believe, a Marvel team-up story with Spider-Man and Kazar. And then they built in more of the X-Men. Dave Cockrum drew, drew, drew chapter three. He was actually drawing the X-Men at the time. And then Paul Smith, who became the regular X-Men artist for a year and did a fan favorite run that is celebrated up there with the best runs ever, along with John Byrne and Jim Lee. He came into the final chapter. That was a hell of a launch. Marvel Fanfare's calling card was it was like 32 pages. It was longer. And it was on super fine, super white, super shiny paper. The paper stock was noticeably different. You paid a little more for it. But in the first four issues, you got two by Michael Golden, one by Dave Cockrum, and one by Paul Smith. Chris Claremont wrote them. You're just getting A-list talent, A-list talent, A-list talent. The next block of stories that comes out, you know, is by more A-list talent, leading us to then a four-parter, eventually, uh, which which ran in episodes uh, issues 10, 11, 12, 13. George Perez, maybe it was just 11, 12, 13, three, four-parter. For, for the sake of argument, it doesn't matter. Uh, I, I like to get things right, but, but in this one, I, I may be off by one issue. Forgive me. George Perez had done a Black Widow story. And George Perez at the time was one of the biggest names in the business. He had left Marvel, and, and before he did, he had done this Black Widow story. And they now decided to finish it, got a group of different inkers and, and put it all together and released it. He was the top-selling artist at DC Comics. He was the rival company's biggest talent. He had been a shining star at Marvel for five, six years prior to crossing the street, creating the new Teen Titans alongside Marvel Wolfman and rocketing that comic book all the way to the number one slot occasionally it would outsell daredevil and x-men it was that popular george was a big name he was you know tapped to do their company-wide celebrated crossover crisis on infinite earths he had also done a celebrated year on the justice league this guy was uh as we have covered many times on rob observations a superstar of the bronze age a superstar of the 70s and 80s so now they're releasing this black widow story and uh george came back and did a couple new covers for it uh, you know, to celebrate the fact that they were collecting his older work. But the last issue has a cover that when I walked in, I was, whoa, like, wow, killer. I've never seen this before, except I had. And I'm going to cover that with you. Uh, I think her name's Snapdragon. She's, she's the villain of the piece. She's a female woman with a... Uh, a silver staff. She has a cool metallic face mask with a visor, kind of a cool headpiece. And uh, I think this is still an all-timer. It also accomplishes the other trope of having the hero's clothes all torn up as Black Widow is charging us and her, um, her costume has been reduced to that of pretty much a bikini. Her Black Widow costume, her full-length lycra leather bodysuit has been torn to bits. And you see her charging towards uh, the, the 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 enemy. I I I am possibly mispronouncing her name as Snapdragon or something Dragon or whatever. But uh, she is uh, she is lunging at the character through through our reflection of the face mask. Now the cropping on this is identical. It is identical. It is from the exact kind of 
high shoulders clavicle uh, at, as as this woman is uh we, we get a little bit of the cleavage and we it is a tight crop it is kind of the mirror image of what todd's going to do here four years later four years later this is this is released marvel fanfare top selling marvel book december 6 1983 this cover hits no background it's just a in this case it's white no color just like in the wolverine hulk it is blue it's just blue but this epic i hope you find this out go i hope you're looking at marvel fanfare the cover issue number 13 issue number 13 and the cool thing is in her battle staff as she is uh her hand is raised and our villain is holding the battle staff uh you see black widows a, a another angle of her face is reflected in the staff this is one hell of a crazy awesome cover and they aren't screaming at each other they're gritting their teeth at each other the villain's teeth are gritted because the the face mask exposes her nose it's an open uh face mask exposing her nose and her and her teeth and her and her lips and her mouth and again three quarters of the reflection in her face mask is black widow charging her in her torn up costume and you're like wow black widow got the crap knocked out of her she's look at her costume is torn up um she's got bandages on her arms wraps like 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 she's she's uh had a wound and it's been it's been wrapped on on her wrist going down to her forearm and uh and she is charging at at our at our at our at our nemesis on this brilliant cover which is cropped identically giant you know tight on the head and then lower you know mid shoulders at the, at the tightest the camera is as tight as it's going to get and that and that camera reflection and that camera crop is repeated on this hulk 140 cover the the coolest part about this marvel fanfare story that i'm telling you is that that marvel collected it in a, in a uh hardcover really nice hardcover a couple of years back uh around when, when black widow's popularity was peaking again uh sometime uh, you know in the last decade it got a really nice hardcover with a dust jacket and all all of these issues are in there with some other assorted uh black widow i think there's a graphic novel and some other one shots but it's really really nice if you can get it, you can get a hold of it this 13 isn't the cover they used one of the perez covers as the uh i think maybe the cover to 11 or 12 as the the cover to the the hardcover but this black widow story is great and and this uh again i believe her name is snapdragon this is totally going from memory uh is is really tight cropped and holding up her battle staff and you're getting two reflections the reflection of black widow completely three quarters of the visor and then the battle staff where in the in the uh tip of the battle staff you see a close-up of of black widow so this comes out in 83 i bought it right there on the spot it was it was as if i wasn't already buying it i was excited to buy it that's what a great cover i was such a homer for Art Adams. And if you look at this cover alone, you'll see influences. You want to go to sourcing in the hair, in the way wrists and anatomy and thighs and and women, the way, I mean, I think I've drawn a hundred women that look like that black widow in that visor and see what that does. That cost me nothing to tell you that because I'm proud to share with you my sourcing. And we're going to get, we're going to get to sharing the sourcing here in a minute. But now that's not, that's not the only reflection cover that rocked my world when I was buying comics, so the Marvel Fanfare 13, check it out. You'll notice side by side Wolverine, the Wolverine Hulk cover is a, a, a very much an imitation of this, except with them screaming. And the emotion is greater in the Todd when he really, to me, the greatest thing about the reflection in Todd's is it captures the rage, the emotion of two, these, you know, the, uh, 
unstoppable force and the immovable object is kind of what you're are both screaming at each other. These these two titans are going to rumble again, and it invokes the first meeting of Hulk, you know, and Wolverine because we we know that that was an epic launch of of Wolverine as a character. But one about one year later, there is a book. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna have to give you a little background. We don't talk about it a whole lot here. We talk about it in the in the in the way, and I've I've spoken of it in that Batman was losing losing his titles. I love to reminisce that Batman and Detective and Batman Family and Brave and the Bold and World's Finest were dialed down, so that you just got Batman Detective, no more World's Finest, no more Brave and the Bold. What they did instead is they put Batman as the head of a super team, just like Robin had been a se- the head of the New Teen Titans, and they had surrounded him with a bunch of new faces. Well, the Outsiders was a cool group. I bought it from the get go. Uh, it was it was you know, became a regular purchase for me. It was in my, my reserve pile, my pull box. They had a number of different characters. They had Geoforce. They had Halo. Now, Metamorpho was an existing character that they brought in, but Geoforce actually had ties. His sister was Terra in the, in the Teen Titans. But the most exciting for me, because I love the, 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 you know, kind of samurai culture was their female warrior named Katana. And another Brilliant use of a, a character whose weapon is her name, Katana. Cool character, great design. And for me, she was the breakout character of Batman and the Outsiders. And she had a weapon. And and again, your 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 host of this I this this podcast is someone who who likes putting weapons in their characters' hands, whether they're swords like Shatterstorm, Sh- Shatter Shatterstar, Shatterstorm is coming in Deadpool Batterblood, by the way. Shatterstar, Shatterstorm, both wielding of swords. Cable, tons of guns, rifles, you know, battle staff, swords, knives, domino throwing, knives, swords, battle staffs, Deadpool, guns and guns and swords, uh, shaft, bows, you know, diehard shields. I, I love weapons. I, I've talked about it before how the Avengers was the first truly weaponized team that I really, you know, w- was, was drawn to. Well, Katana had the weapon. Halo had powers and Geoforce had powers and Metamorpho had powers and Batman had his utility belt and he could point everybody in the right direction. But Katana had this badass sword. And the cool thing about the sword is it kind of had a, it was possessed. The sword was possessed and it had, you know, it talked and guided Katana. Well, there is an, a, a dedicated Katana storyline to build her out because I believe her popularity was such that they were devoting this entire storyline, a couple issues to her. And again, you know Katana from the Suicide Squad movie. She didn't get near as much time as she, as she deserved. Uh, very cool visual. They worked a really cool visual for her. She was fantastic. She deserved to be given more of a spotlight in, in both Suicide Squad films. But as it turned out, she's only featured in the first 2016 Suicide Squad. So, you, so she's an important character. She's a popular character. She's a character that you've seen on screen. So she kind of got to that next level. Well, back here in her first year of existence, Batman and the Outsiders, number 11. Now, again, we are one year out from the Marvel fanfare. This is March 22nd. March 22nd. I mean, we are we are only four months from the Art Adams cover. I walk into the store. There's Katana. She's brandishing her blade. Jim Perro, who was the artist from day one and one of the most celebrated Batman artists, uh, and he, he's on my you know greatest Batman artist of all time on, the, on that uh, podcast. He's in my top 10. He, he draws her, and again, just a blank background. No, no, no trees, no atmosphere, no hatching, much like the Marvel fanfare. 13, we've got Batman and the Outsiders, issue 11, Katana, 
from basically her mid, really her her mid chest up, tight shot on her head, shoulders. Camera pulled slightly, just an, a smidge back, but we don't get down to her waist. It's not that far, and she is brandishing the blade across the entirety of, uh, from from lower left to top right. And in the blade, you see Batman, Metamorpho, and Halo. Her her teammates are charging her in this blade. This is a kick-ass reflection cover. This is a kick-ass reflection cover. Reflection covers for the newbies back in the cheap seats uh, existed before Hulk 340, okay? They did. A lot. And we're going to go back even farther in, in a minute. And we're, we're going we're gonna to rock you just a little, little further than you've been rocked already. Because a lot of you see a reflection cover, even though it does not in any way, shape, or form reflect the, the, the aesthetics of the Todd. And it's a brilliant cover. Again, I would never even attempt to try and replicate that cover because the original is so good. One of the first things when Marvel said, would you do these homage covers? And, and recently it was announced I'd do some homage covers. And I, I wasn't crazy about it because I think, I think homage covers are really tricky. It's really tricky to honor the, the source. And, and I said, I, I don't want to do, if you're going to ask me to do 140 or Amazing 300, the two Todd ones, I'm, I'm not doing them. And like, go ahead and pick your own. So I picked a Jim Steranko, two Frank Millers, a Jack Kirby, and a Mike Zek. Stuff I'd never done before. It was really fun. And uh, I just made sure I did not want to uh, go into that trap of trying to replicate one of Todd's covers because I think the originals cannot be replicated. I've seen so many people try and bite that 340, and it just doesn't work. Um, I, I mean, literally, I, I have from Greg Land to Joe Casada, they just don't land. They, sorry for the pun, but. They just don't, uh, uh, you know, give the same uh, visceral. I've seen people that they want to kind of make it more photographic or realistic. It doesn't work. Todd's style is perfect. Those two big faces yelling at each other is is what makes it so special. But so now we, we, we've we counted down. Again, Batman and the Outsiders was a big selling book. It had, Because they put Batman on a super team and super teams were hot at the time. This is the age where X-Men was all the rage, where uh, Justice League got younger members to, to become even more popular and reflect the Teen Titans, where Legion of Superheroes was, was about to boast four books, four monthly titles, two dedicated, and then a, 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 a literally, excuse the pun, a legion of spinoffs. So Batman and the Outsiders checked the charts. It did very well. It was a strategically really smart move to uh, end Brave and the Bold and give Batman a new super team that he would direct, uh, which operated alongside in the same sphere as Justice League, the Justice League, the All-Star, I'm sorry, the Justice Society, all the different kind of teams that we had already seen, Titans. But this Batman, the Outsiders 11, uh, Marvel Fanfare uh, 13, she got 1983. For Marvel Fanfare 13, you got you got March of 84 on Batman and the Outsiders. Now, for those of us who can count, October 20th, 1987 is when, when Hulk 140 comes out. It's great. It's great. The first reflection cover that I'm aware that I did is not Wolverine 155, because that's where you think I'm going with this. Nope, it's Evangeline number two. We took Evangeline into her own series after a number of very successful miniseries. She was our top-selling book at Maximum Press and our best-selling book coming out of Extreme Studios. And for the second issue, which came out in 1995 uh, of, this, of this series, Evangeline is brandishing a sword. And that sword is coming out towards us. It's very similar to the shot of Katana. 
but it has one, two, three, four, five visible angels flying from the sky to encounter Evangeline. She is standing there, brandishing her sword. Her clothes are torn. In the book, she's pregnant. She's got like a blouse on. Her jeans are torn. She's got blood on her thighs. There's smoke billowing behind her. Her hair's whipping all about, but the giant feature is the sword and the characters that are flying towards her. This is 9596. And uh, you got all these angels again, maybe five. One, there's a small one. One, two, three, four. But it looks like six. Looks like six angels are heading towards Evangeline in this reflection. So my first reflection, and again, this is more along the lines of what I saw on the Batman and the, and, and the Outsiders. This comes out in 1995-96. So this is you know, many years after Marvel Fanfare 13, Batman and the Outsiders 11, and Hulk 340. And so this is my first dance, to my knowledge, to my knowledge, uh, of, of me dancing with reflections. If I did it before, you know, again, I can't jump in front of Marvel Fanfare with Art Adams or Batman and the Outsiders with Jim Aparo, much less the Hulk 340. But most people go, oh, it's a Hulk 340 cover. No, no, no. Kids, there were reflection covers. And uh, here's where I'm going to take you back a little ways to, to uh, before I was born. Before I was born. And, and, and on the, uh, the very popular title, Marvel's number one best-selling title, it was Spider-Man number 55. Reflection covers like the number 55, whether it is 155 with Wolverine or Spider-Man 55. And this is a unique uh, take on the reflection cover. It's a great cover. It is a signature uh, memorable piece by Mr. John Romita Sr. John Romita Sr. is still here. So when I say I'm offended on behalf of the Art Adams and the John Romita Seniors, now Jim Aparo has passed. But when people just jump to the fact, hey man, that must be a Hulk 340. What are you saying? Are you saying that, that, that in September, one month before I was born, September 7th, 1967, September 7th, 1967, a good 20 solid years prior to Hulk 340, this killer in Doc Ox goggles on this cover, on Doc in Doc Ox goggles, and they are super tight. This doesn't even pull back to show his shoulders. You get kind of his neck area, lower neck, to the, the, the giant Doc Ock goggles have Spider-Man fighting, wrestling away his four tentacles, his, his, his octopus metallic coils. And uh, as he's gritting his teeth and, and in those reflections, he is wrestling away. Uh, the, the Spider-Man is, you know, and they're sl- the, the greatest thing is they're both slightly different shots because the lens obviously would be angled differently. So Ramita Sr., Tilted one a certain angle and and the other another. I'm not sure if he redrew both of them to my naked eye. It would appear that these are just tilted shots, but it's cool how they 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 put them off angle slightly from left to right. But this Doctor Octopus cover, Spider Man, Amazing Spider Man number 55, released on the stands in September 7th, 1967, is is one of the biggest, most memorable uh, Spider Man covers and. And reflection covers of all time. Now there are groups. There, there is a. I don't know if you've ever been to San Diego or New York Comic Con. And God bless him. Mike is a sweet guy. He, his business is called Ramita Man. Ramita Man Original Art. 
he boasts more Ramita Sr. artwork than anybody. He loves him. If you talk to him, you will see his absolute passion for not just Ramita's Spider-Man. He loves that, but Ramita's Hulk, Ramita's Captain America, Ramita's Daredevil, because John Ramita Sr., not Junior, Junior's dad, John Ramita Sr., still with us, uh, went to bat early on. Uh, you know, pinch hitting for Steve Ditko when he left Spider-Man after 30 plus issues. Uh, and, and then he continued across the spectrum of the Marvel Universe, always contributing. He eventually became their art director. He was there a, a good, good long while. He was very much seen as, as a uh, kind of a right-hand man to Stan Lee. And uh, the two of them uh, did, a, did a wonderful, uh, wonderful celebrated run on Spider-Man that, that, that certain fans believe is the single best run in the history of comics and good for them. That is what they embrace in the same way that I embrace that, that John Byrne, Terry Austin, Chris Claremont, uh, X-Men 108 through, you know, X-Men 143 is the greatest comic book run in the history of comics followed then by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Everybody's got their opinions, but you cannot deny that on Marvel's top selling book, this killer reflection cover goggle, the goggles, the, 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 in the goggles of Doc Ock is Spider-Man struggling with his coils. Again, it's telling you a story. All of these reflection store covers, the cool part about them is they tell you a story. They give you an image. They give you a standoff. They're, they're, they're giving you a snapshot of the conflict. Sometimes there's torn clothes, like on the Black Widow, like on the Evangeline. Sometimes there's, you know, just, just the strength of the struggle, like Spider-Man with Doc Ock. Sometimes, you know, you, you, you can see the urgency. Three characters are charging towards Katana. And then, of course, the screaming, which I think is so effective on the Todd cover. But the idea that reflection covers started with uh, Hulk 340 is ridiculous. And, and anyone who, who makes that notion is, is not sourcing. They're not sourcing. They're, they're skipping John Romita Sr. They're skipping Arthur Adams and they're skipping Jim Aparo. And these guys are not minor names in comics. They are all, you know, first ballot Hall of Fame. First ballot Hall of Fame. Now, Arthur is aware that we were all biting him. I think I may have told you this story. I need to in, in, inject the Art Adams story. It was 1993. Image Comics had already exploded. We were at WonderCon for the 1993 WonderCon. The only person who didn't come out and make it was Todd McFarlane. But we all collectively took Art Adams. I, if, I've, if, I've, if you've heard this story before, um, I apologize, but it, it's a fun story. I, I, I kind of have an inkling that, I, that I've shared this before, but we asked Art to choose where he wanted it you know, eat because he lived in the Bay Area. He said, this is, there's a great, you know, Chinese uh, restaurant, great noodles. So we went there. And by we, I mean Silvestri, myself, Jim Lee, Eric Larson, Valentino, we all went there. We talked to Art about doing the first ever crossover. Would he draw a crossover with Youngblood, Wildcat, Cyberforce, Shadowhawk, Spawn? Todd was aware we were having this talk. Art said, well, I, I feel like, you know, I feel like, you guys all kind of owe me. You, you, you've all kind of, you know, leaned into my work. There, there's, there's literally reflections of my work in all of you. And he wasn't wrong. And no one here denied it. Not one single person there hung their head in shame. Not one person looked the other way. We were all like, yeah, Art, we get it. We know. Again, I'm going to go back to Todd McFarlane. In 1988, Art Adams can only do one book a year. It doesn't matter if we're not as good as art. If we if we give him kinda, kinda art items, kinda, and, and give it to him monthly, monthly, then 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 we'll the, the, the kids will love us. The fans will eat us up. Okay, that was kind of the prevailing notion, and, and it was shared across the spectrum. And uh, while art 
was like, I'm still not giving you more than one, two books max, two books max. And that was, he had a two book max, two issues of X Factor, two annuals, one annual, whatever. His career was again, uh, again, was built on one tremendous year in 85, where all the stuff that he'd been working for years all got released at the same time. That is a dedicated uh, podcast in year one that you should read about Art Adams because I give him all the blow. He deserves it. But the funny part is, you know, he's identifying that we all have been leaned into, you know, been influenced, reflected him, even though he will tell you that he was influenced by Walt Simonson, Michael Golden, Mike Kaluta, all these guys. Everyone's influenced. Nobody's embarrassed about their influence. Well, most people aren't. Art Adams uh, picked up on Michael Golden's doing the spaghetti webbing, which is where I saw it first in 1981, depicted by Michael Golden on multiple different Spider-Man jobs that Michael Golden did. And then Art Adams did that exact same webbing in uh, the Web of Spider-Man annual that he did, as well as prior to that in 1985's long shot issue four with She-Hulk and Spider-Man. And you're like, oh my gosh, there's that Michael Golden webbing again. He's doing it too. He's doing it too. Eric Larson did it in a fill-in. And then eventually Todd got to do it. And sometimes I feel like Todd doesn't give Golden, Art Adams, and, and, and Eric Larson, when I was speaking to him, was like, it goes back to Ditko. You can see issues of Ditko with, with the thicker spaghetti rope webbing, of which, at what point, which point in 2019, after Eric pointed that out to me, I ran back. I looked, I'm like, there it is. So when, when pressed, Todd will be like, I, I, I popularized it. I, popular, I, I wouldn't even go that far. You just did it more. Okay? You just did it more. And, uh, and with these reflections, when I asked a retailer, why do you think all the other reflections get overlooked? He said, Rob, it's Wolverine and Hulk. That's the answer. It's Wolverine. It's, it's, you can do Doc Ock and Spider-Man. You can do ba- Batman's on the Outsiders cover because the book's called Batman and the Outsiders. It's technically a Batman title. Batman and the Outsiders. You can do Marvel fanfare. It's Art Adams. It's a killer cover. It, it, you put it up on the wall. People always ask about it. They, they, and some people, a retailer said, you know, so Art Adams was looking at Todd McFarlane. Okay, source it. Guys, there's Google. You can do this. And, uh, you know, John Romita Sr. is sitting in 1967 going, what am I, chopped liver? It, 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 uh, you know, Spider-Man. Was the number one book at Marvel Comics? Was the top selling book? The reflection cover, like that, just knocked it out. That showed you an, an action and a reaction in it, is right there on the cover of Amazing Spider-Man fifty-five. Now, I've seen Darth Vader reflection covers. I've seen. I, I mentioned to you something is killing the co- children. I've done reflection covers. The first reflection cover was not Hulk three forty. You guys, let's let's history matters. We are an age obsessed with statistics, uh, you know, scoring titles, who, who got the most Super Bowls, who got the most receptions. And yet when it comes to comics, we're just sloppy. We're just completely sloppy. Let's clean it up. Let's clean it up. Let's, let's, get, let's get the vernacular. Let's, let's expand. Now, there are, I'm going to say, 20 reflection covers I didn't hit on here. And in fact, I'm going to talk to you about a reflection cover that we haven't discussed yet, but it's not a reflection cover for a comic book. It's a reflection cover for a movie. Yes, this particular reflection image is not a cover per se. It is a giant movie poster that was in movie houses all over, presumably the world, but definitely the United States in 1980. So now we're going back even further than uh, Art Adams. We're going further than Jim Apparel, but we still can't beat John Romita. John Romita Sr. in that amazing Spider-Man 55. 
it's a movie called Prom Night. And Prom Night, <laughs> the poster says, if you're not back by midnight, you won't be coming home. Prom Night. Prom Night. It's got a guy in a ski mask looking right at us, fist right in front of where his mouth would be, and a giant blade with a bloody girl upside down uh, in, 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 in the reflection, the very clear, almost mirror-like reflection of this jagged blade. If you're not back by midnight, you won't be coming home. If you're not back by midnight, you won't be coming home. Uh, prom night. Leslie Nielsen, Jamie Lee Curtis, Prom Night, directed by Paul Lynch, okay? This movie poster rocks. So last week for the whatever scream that, that is next with, with Jen Ortega, is it scream six, seven, eight? I've, I've lost count, honestly. I, I love the scream movies. I'm just, I'm just losing count. I, I literally have enjoyed each and every one of them. The new scream had all the main characters, and some of them were actually cropped in position in the same way as the Wolverine 155 cover, which has Deadpool, pretty much tight close-up of his face, slight shoulder, and a giant single knife like Deadpool wields, and Wolverine is charging at him. And people go, oh, that's a, that's a, because their capacity for comparison ends in 1987. They can't go back. Now, again, just in covers alone, if we go to the, mar- if we just go to the 80s and the first, mo- the modern version that I encountered before John Amita Sr., and I go to the Marvel fanfare, that's 1983. Todd's comes out in 87, 83 to 84, 84 to 85, 85, 86, 86, 87. You guys, that's an entire high school. That, that's, that's your entire high school. That's your freshman year, your sophomore year, your junior year, and your senior year. And again, Art Adams is not like some giant notable. I forgot to tell you, Art Adams, when, when his response to us was, well, you need to pay me a million dollars. You need to pay me $1 million. And he said it, again, this is years you know, before Dr. Evil would say one million, uh, Dr. Evil, that's not a lot, uh, one billion, whatever. Art Adams, as he was slurping his noodles, said one million dollars. And I've never seen Jim Lee laugh harder. He just was like, one million dollars. Like, we don't even get get that much. We don't, we don't pay that kind of money. Like, one million dollars. He just kept saying, like, that's it. I don't think he wanted to do it. I think he knew that one million dollars was the, was the, you know, I'll have to ask Art one day. It's none of us were offended. It wasn't, it was just fun. We got to ask someone who we respect tremendously if he would do something. And he countered with, uh, you know, put your money where your mouth is. And we didn't, and it didn't happen. So that, that, that wraps up the uh, noodle story. I, I, I didn't finish up, but prom night. 1980 giant movie poster blade with reflection. This isn't new people. Let's expand our awareness. Prom Night, 1980, John Romita Sr., 1967. We can keep going back in time. I'm sure there are way more, and some of you are going to flood me with more. I'm, I'm giving you, uh, it, even if my research is limited, it is a great deal further than so many of the, well, wait, every reflection cover started. Uh, you know, No, you can't do a blade. You can't say that because the blade is Katana on Batman and the Outsiders, but then the blade is this Prom Night poster in 1980. So again, you know, Smartest thing my dad ever t- told young Robbie Liefeld, probably nine or 10 years old. We were coming back from school. He was taking me home after school. I had stayed while he finished up his work at the, at the church, the school and the church were attached. And I don't quite remember the context, but he said, Robbie, there will always be someone stronger. There will always be somebody faster. Whoever holds that record 
there's somebody who is trying to beat it right now. And as I watched LeBron James take what was almost an impossible record from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, a, a record I never thought would be surpa- surpassed. I, I didn't think Jordan could do it. Karl Malone got close. He couldn't do it. I didn't think Kobe could do it. LeBron James did it. And it really made me think of my dad. There's always somebody. And he, I, I, I know it's at one point it was like track and field or, or maybe Olympics that we were talking about. But it was, I just don't know the exact context, but he was like, there's always someone faster. There's always someone stronger. There's always tr- somebody training to pass the next guy. And that's really how we look at all these. But again, sourcing, will, will, what, 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 you can say, Rob, what are you trying to say here? Sourcing will expand your awareness. And the one thing that I am so excited by is expanding the awareness. I'm a history buff. I like history. I don't like false history. I don't like, I don't like fake facts. I like stuff that is dated and stamped and occurred and especially the stuff that happened under my nose. And then to have some other guy who's maybe 10, 15, 20 years younger than me say, oh, this is the popularization of this image. No, it's not. That's not true. That's not even remotely close to being factual. So while we're sourcing, let's go to New Mutants 87 because why don't I I stay with another one? Um, It is absolutely 100%... I, I'm, I'm going to lean all the way into the pun here. Reflective, reflecting, a re, reflective of a reflection of a, uh, a, a an Avengers comic named uh, I, I, is it is it is it 147? Guys, help me out here. Okay, okay, maybe it's 146. Help me out here. <laughs> oh, I'm almost there. So Avengers 145 has a masked man who looks like he's from the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, and it, it, only his mouth is open. He has a full face mask with his mouth open, and it says, and, he, and he's throwing a deck of cards. And then the deck of cards are the unconscious Avengers. They are all unconscious, laying on uh, the ground. They are flat out Iron Man, Thor, Hawkeye, Vision, and Captain America. He is holding up a rifle, and he's holding out these cards. I always dug this cover, and when it came time to make an introduction to Cable, I thought I can take this idea of this cover, and so. I went in closer cropped on this cover, but where I put my own imprimatur, my own stamp, is that I didn't want to throw cards because I didn't really understand. I mean, what do the, the cards signify? Are, is this a deck of cards? Is this, are these photographs? So he's throwing us photos that, 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 that he took care of all of them. I decided, you know what would be more lethal and tell more of a story is gun sites. Also, the tighter the crop that I chose, I was able to show you the details of this brand new character, this character that you're encountering really for the first time. He has a cameo shot in the last panel of New Mutants 86, but I wanted Cable to really uh, win you over. Now, I did think that the gun that um, this assassin is is holding on this Avengers cover was pretty unique and pretty cool, so I figured I'd, I would I would duplicate aspects of it, even though it's not. It you can tell my. The length of Cable's gun is not as, this is a very skinny rifle as I'm looking at now. Mine is a little more thick and a little more teched out, technologically tricked out. Um, But I wanted to give you a really tight shot of a great face, Cable grimacing, eyes, nose, hair, wavy hair, thick jaw. And instead of photographs or cards, I gave you gunshots. I gave you gun sights. And in each of those gun sights is the reaction of a frightened member of the new mutants, which I was trying to invoke. You should be frightened. You should be frightened. People go, man, that's a ripoff of 147, which I go, we are seriously not going to give the gun sites their due. And you can go, Liefeld, you're, you're 
like being defensive. If if that's how you want to take this, you are more than welcome. No sweat off my petunias. Um, I am just letting you know that I believe there is a significant difference. And what I have seen over and over and over is now 30 years of my New Mutants 87 cover. Because the New Mutants 87 cover, when it is homaged, has the gun sights, not these, not these photo cards. You got to get these. And, and, and when you take the New Mutants and you draw the space, and you have to include Cable's head because this is a Ku Klux Klan guy. There's no expression. There's cutouts for an eye, blank, white eyes, not even eyeballs, and just a mouth. He's, he's got an open mouth. He's talking. I drew a face. There is no face. There is no reflection of a face in this cover. I just took the cropping, except the camera is a little further back on this as I compare the two. And then I did the gun sights. And I thought the gun sights was, again, a storytelling method. So I mashed up an idea from a cover 100% uh, influenced and a reflection of this cover, but a line for line uh, reproduction that it's just not so because of the gun sights. The gun sights, I, I was really proud of myself. I was also, you have to remember, I was very young in my, um, I mean, I was 21 when I did that cover. And, and New Mutants 87 was released in the last month of 1989. And so I, I get to straddle the 80s there. And the gun sights showing Richter and Sam and, 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 the, and the group uh, in their frightened faces really, again, communicated an emotion this cover has no emotion other than there are passed out avengers every avenger in this in these photos is has their eyes closed and before you get to you protest too much no this is my 87 cover does not exist without this showing the way but to say it is a line for line reproduction is not true and then that gets you into well what other covers have had cards and or gun sites and you go well the punisher and i believe you know very much that I, I I was probably also jamming up, and I believe it's actually another Gil Kane. I mean, we, we need to do an entire episode on Gil Kane alone. Um, the uh, the the first appearance of the Punisher, going back again to Spider Man, uh, it is just a uh, <clears throat> an amazing uh, cover, and and amazing Spider Man one twenty nine. I do believe this is a Gil Kane and, and, and John Romita senior inked over it. He's pointing his gun full figure. And then you see in the gun sights, like Spider-Man is reeling. I believe the gun sight in that cover is very influenced on what I did. So I did, I mashed up a lot of influences, but what we just had, we had a eight minute discussion of sourcing of new mutants, which I love to talk about. Of course, Avengers 147 is in is in the uh is is in the conversation. But when you are swiping a cover with a guy with a gun in his hand and a bunch of gun sights and characters reacting, whether you're Umberto Ramos, whether you're um, you know, Mike Diodano or the 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 legion of, of artists that I've seen do this, you're doing New Mutants 87. Okay? So again, you're like, well, Eiffel, you want to have it both ways? No, I'm just talking about sourcing. Sourcing is beautiful. So sourcing is so damn fun. Reflection covers do not start with Hulk 340, just like space operas didn't start with Star Wars. And my favorite interviews are when George Lucas is talking about how influential Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers were on Star Wars and, and, and how, how, how influential the Hidden Force, Fortress is, uh, uh, you know, Kurosawa's seminal, you know, Japanese film that, that that really inspired so many of the elements 
And George never has a problem talking about them. Just like I don't have a problem of talking about it. I don't hide my sourcing. I love my sourcing. Try and go back as far as you can with every source that you find. If you see a trope, likely it's been done years and years. I am certain that someone can go rob Golden Age, Silver Age, prior to Ramita Sr. I'm not stopping at Ramita Sr. I'm just going, you can go 20 years prior to Hulk 340 and find a killer reflection cover. You can find a blade, uh, uh, the, the people in a blade in 1984, again, three years prior. The, the Art Adams brilliant Marvel fanfare, which I really do believe is the basis in the same way that the New Mutants 87 is the basis. I mean, uh, Avengers 147 is the basis for mine. My New Mutants 87. I believe they, they are kind of, one does not exist without the other. That's called sourcing, and sourcing is fun. And it goes, you can go to character creation, you can go to character uh, design. I mean, again, we did an entire podcast on all the different Superman tropes. Uh, there's the Samaritan in Astro City that came in the late 90s from Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross. There's Supreme, which I launched in 1992. There's Hyperion, which is you know an early 70s creation from Marvel Comics, possibly late 60s. Uh, but people thought that Captain Marvel's slash Shazam was uh, an imitation of Superman and had a good basis to make that argument. Every character, um, Omni-Man, I read a bio on Omni-Man, the, 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 the Wikipedia on Omni-Man, uh, invokes supreme and hyperion and all of the other superman tropes as well they should that's what it is um homelander on the boys is a, is a trope uh sourcing is a blast if you take away from this anything other than the fun of sourcing and how far you can ricochet back and forth again prom night that poster when you see it you'll go oh my gosh it is it it it, it was happening here all those screen pictures posters last week that they weren't invoking Wolverine 155. They weren't. It was just fun to see a couple that caught the exact cropping. And again, that cropping to me started with Art Adams. The Ramita Sr. is much tighter on the face, but the reflections are still there. You pull a little further out for the Batman and the Outsiders, but the Art Adams one is like the sweet spot. It's the right spot. And never in a million years did I think I was doing, you know, Hulk 340. And you can go, Liefeld, you're, you're nuts. That's fine. Here I am. I'm nuts. I have always thought of the most potent reflection cover is uh is art adams marvel fanfare and again my my if 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 memory serves my first reflection is the evangeline issue two with all the angels coming at evangeline and the sword anyway reflection covers are great source it source all of it your 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 favorite artist is sourced and i actually was talking about this on facebook recently so much of today's talent don't want to tell you that they're looking at anything they act like and and to the point where there was an artist and i shared this i shared this on twitter about a week ago there's an artist who is currently drawing like mark Silvestri, doing his very particular brand of cross hatching which he introduced into the popular kind of recent uh you know comic book dialogue there's a giant page now that Mark owns about the specific brand of cross-hatching. It, it, it itself is sourced in Bernie Wrightson. There is a serious, and then you can keep going back and, uh, and adding different layers to, to, well, who else has, 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 you know, done this, this level of, of cross-hatching. The first thing I see 
is a heavy dose of Wrightson. And then from there, we can go and further back and source and source. And that's another episode in and of itself. But this kid is doing Batman and he's putting this exact rendering and it's an exact crop of the same face and shadowing as Mark Silvestri is doing the last four months on his Batman Joker. And this guy is not identifying that he is getting influenced by Mark whatsoever, which is funny. There is one artist, I hope to do a, uh, a podcast on it soon, on him soon. He's very popular. He's very influential. And in his repeated interviews over the years, he denies being influenced by everybody, even though you can see the Jack Kirby and you can see the Neil Adams and the people around him will tell you, but he's like, I am not influenced by anything. And you're like, what are you doing? Why can't you just tell us that you're influenced? We see it. We know it. That's it. That's a sourcing for the other day. But guys, whether it's Star Wars, whether it's a certain rendering set, whether it's a, a reflection, whether it's the crop, whether it's gun sights, or photos source it go back source it take the time google exists for a reason um you can go back i, I dare you go through a line just go through daredevils go through you know uh uh issues of spider-man fantastic four see oh man there may be three reflection covers in there there's a daredevil episode where daredevil uh daredevil issue an issue of daredevil frank miller did where he is holding up the gun pointing it right at you it is very pointing it right at the camera it is very invoke um reflective of clint eastwood's dirty harry some dirty harry imagery and it is it is absolutely just obvious that frank was mimicking that and anyone who argues differently is is insane and i've seen people go oh man these people are getting this from frank miller no they're not they're getting (laughs) frank got it from clint eastwood and he probably chuckles that people just skip that step. Sourcing, it's a good thing. May the source be with you. Look for the source code, apply it. You'll have a blast. That is what I am putting forth. You'll have a blast. You will have so much fun. When people ask me, how'd you create Deadplug? I was trying to do my own version of Spider-Man. Tim Miller said when we were promoting Deadpool number one, 2016, he says, Rob, if you mention Spider-Man one more time, man, I'm, I'm like, do, 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 how much credit do we have to give the spider the Spider-Man guys? I'm like, hey, you know, he was he was he was he was uh taking the piss out of me as he is known to do. Um, but uh yeah, it's it's right there, I wear it on the sleeve, right there, right there as 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 down to the big giant mask design, the big eyes, instead of big open white like Spider-Man, specifically Todd Spider-Man, it's big giant black spaces. Sourcing is a blast. In, embrace the sourcing. Just don't stop at whatever you're looking at at the time or whatever popular um, version of it. Go back, go back, but go back further and enlighten yourself and be delighted and be excited and be inspired. Again, uh, it, it, it's fun going going back in time and looking at all the different versions of maybe a popular thing. But the people who just want to stop and make it this. Now I understand my retailer buddy. He's right on the money. Wolverine and Hulk is why that image is so popular. And again. To me, just the raging emotion, the screaming, the open mouths, the the rage and the fury coming off that Hulk 340 cover is to me like even more important, but it's achieved through that killer reflection through those claws. But yeah, source it guys. It's a blast. Uh, I, I love sourcing myself. It is something I'm obsessed with. It feels like we're getting lazy. It feels like we're getting sloppy. And I would encourage you to investigate and embrace history and you will be so much better off for it. Stay with me here as I, as I, as I uh, allow me one more kind of uh, corner of this corner of this uh, idea of, of tropes 
and, and sourcing. Because as you guys know, I tell you guys each and every, each and every episode, I'm, I'm on Facebook, I'm on social media. I love, I love cruising the socials, okay? And seeing what people are saying and what they're talking about. And especially when it comes to pop culture and, and comic books. And again, if, if this is your first time listening to this and you're, you're wondering why I don't go harder in on filmed entertainment, I feel like you have a lot of so many different outlets for that to occur. I feel like you have so many opportunities for, uh, you know, interaction. Every time there's a trailer, there's 40 people I see on my social media who are like, I've got my thoughts. I've got my insights. Here's what I've, here's the Easter eggs I've, I've spotted. So that, that, that is, that is available to you, uh, you know, in 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 dozens and dozens of formats so so i just like again to keep it more about the sourcing of uh, of the material and so you know again i go across my socials i see everybody you know uh t- talking about all their different uh kind of opinions and i am in an x-men couple of x-men groups because x-men is my favorite uh, a matter of fact before i jumped on here somebody had said what is the run I love I love these questions when they post. What is the run that in your youth that you would have been inconsolable if you could no longer collect? And I mean, I, I don't have to even hesitate. I just typed in Uncanny X Men and I put Uncanny to kind of sig- signal that it goes all the way back to when they returned in in nineteen in nineteen seventy five. The 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 brand new, the all new X Men. And, and to those of you who are like, what do you mean the new? Prior to the giant size X Men number one which carries so much weight because it has, you know, the, the, the first grouping together of, and the introduction of so many characters, but of Colossus, Sunfire, Storm, Wolverine, Banshee, Nightcrawler, uh, Thunderbird. That, that is a reason that, 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 that book represented the first time it had really been an all new lineup outside of the original core five, even though characters like Havoc and Polaris, Polaris, Havoc and Polaris were circling, uh, you know, the, the membership there in later issues, it was really Cyclops, Beast, Angel, Iceman, and Jean Grey had been the core. And then boom, this new idea. I've covered this on a dedicated podcast. You should really check that out. It tells you why those characters were international. It tells you why they, they made that specific approach. Uh, it goes far beyond just, just servicing story. So I really hope, um, I really hope you can, you can, you can check that out because it's really a f- fascinating story, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking at another, uh, post in this Facebook group that I'm a part of. And th- there's uh, someone who wanted to make, make known how much, um, how much he loved the Mark Silvestri era. And, and what did everyone think of that? And why doesn't it get more love specifically? Why doesn't the Mark Silvestri era, you know, get more, get more love and get more excitement. And so I'm uh, reading some of the different responses. And, and, and it, uh, you know, again, it's framed with, don't you think Mark Silvestri's, you know, run should get more credit than it deserves? I hold it high up there with uh, the John, John Byrne, Paul Smith, and, and Jim Lee. And he says, is it, becomes, is it because it was the end of the Claremont run, which of course it wasn't, uh, or the Inferno crossover in the Australian era just not popular? Uh, then, then he talks about, you know, the stuff, the stuff that he did love during that era. And he's got a, uh, uh, he shows the covered X-Men 238 with all of them bursting through the, 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 the wall battling, uh, the, the, the armed, uh, 
the the armed enemy guns. It's Rogue, it's Colossus, it's Storm, it's Psylocke, it's Longshot, it's Dazzler, and it's Wolverine. And it's, it's great. Mark was great. And you guys know how much I absolutely adore and love and, and, and elevate everything that Mark does. And so the, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I was like the guy in, in the class, you know, ooh, ooh, calling me. I, I, can, I can help you answer this. I can help you answer this. Now, you have to understand, I, I draw a, my one issue of X-Men, my one issue of X-Men, uh x-men 245 was number one for that month the x-men was number one uh no no matter if a fresh-faced rob liefeld was was drawing it or the uh consistent mark silvestri but the sales would go even higher obviously under jim jim lee the uh I, i decided i would i would weigh in and 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 again this is sourcing this is sourcing you, you can actually source source this with some credibility. I answered and I said, hey, that run is fantastic. The stories during that run were less along the lines of what fans wanted at the time. What what fans wanted, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little, little deeper on this. What fans wanted, they wanted more Magneto, more Hellfire Club, more of the Shi'ar, more of the Imperial Guard. Basically, all sequels to the classic tales. Jim Lee knew and understood this, which is why the stories reflected all those tropes that Claremont had been resisted had been resisting in regards to revisiting. Mark's art is outstanding, and I'm just going to add he he drew everything he was asked just wonderfully, and and it was incredibly influential influential on by both myself and and guys like Jim Lee. He I mean, whatever um, female that he was portraying, Madeline Pryor, Storm, uh, Polaris, uh, you know. Rogue, he Dazzler, Mark drew the most beautiful woman, and there's a particular upshot, a particular, a particular angle that Mark draws from. That if you see that in our work, we got that from Mark. I can tell you right now, we can we got that from Mark, and and I, I believe Jim would say, oh yeah, no, no, that 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 particular shot that Mark excelled at was 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 really became a trademark, and we grabbed that. We 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 gravitated towards and grabbed that, um, grabbed that particular kind of shot. And his approach, and the angle, and the way that the, the, the eyes stack on the new, on the nose, on the mouth, on the chin. So it's 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 Mark is so ridiculously influential. Let's get back to that point about that he wasn't playing the classic hits, and Jim knew because that's what Jim wanted to draw. Because every kid who was raised on the John Byrne X Men wanted the, the the wanted rematches. They wanted nothing but rematches. Now now Claremont had revisited Magneto. He had revisited him. He put him on trial. Uh, in the John Romita uh, Jr. years, he had um, he had them infiltrate his his base in the Dave Cockrum uh, revisit in his second run, but he had really strayed and gotten away from from what I, I call the classics. During this time, again, the X Men are in the outback; they are in Australia. There is an Aborigine man that teleports them to and from where, wherever they want with his. Uh, that's his mutant power, and you know it was an interesting conceit. My issue that i did 245 takes place in the outback it takes place in this era it takes place in australia uh so so again i i know of what i speak and in speaking with editorial and the brief times you would be able to reach chris uh he did not want to go backwards he only wanted to go forward and if you think of the brood which he introduces in the dave Cockrum era and then repeatedly you know there, there's some really good brood stuff uh that 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 that, that he uh has with mark you know, the Reavers, Mr. Sinister, the Madeline Pryor mystery, all of these things are introduced. 
and 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 are incredibly entertaining. Especially the Reavers really did reflect. I, I felt like James Cameron's Aliens, the 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 Space Marines. They were grittier. They had tons of tech. Um, it, it, it 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 was it was a harder, more almost like a more R-rated, uh, uh, con, um, R-rated menace. Uh, I just they were grislier. They 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 looked scary and mean, and and obviously they they, they were capable of, of of really putting the X Men on their toes. And so you also had a great you know the Morlocks and and Sabretooth and Wolverine finally fighting it out. Except uh, most of that battle was depicted by either Alan Davis or Rick Leonardi, if my memory serves. Mark did some great covers, but what what fans of the the John Byrne era that who still to this day. Are, are carrying water because that that era was so transformative for the entire book. You understand, when I speak to you of Spider-Man and Spider-Man being popular, Spider-Man was just popular, period. He had achieved ridiculous levels of success before giant-sized X-Men is rebooted. Spider-Man has already had like a ridiculously popular cartoon that is now in repeats that I'm watching on UHF channels with the popular jingle Spider-Man, Spider-Man does whatever a spider can. Uh, he's got merchandise. He's got little web shooters, you know, that you can buy at the drugstore. He's got, you know, lunch pails, school supplies, t-shirts, all the, all the, uh, the, the tenants of a, of a popular merchandise character alongside Batman, Superman. It was Spider-Man. When the X-Men is transformed, it is under the pencil of John Byrne. Prior, it's Dave Cockrum, but that book is bi-monthly and it takes, you know, you get six issues a year. Burn puts the afterburners in effect, boom, speeds it up, and you get all these amazing stories. Magneto holding the X-Men hostage under the under the volcano. Mesmero, Mesmero uh, uh, hypnotizing all of them and, and making them circus freaks. You get a battle on another planet with the, with the Shi'ar. John Byrne wraps up the, the Shi'ar with his own interpretation of the Imperial Guard. You you get back and you get the introduction of not only you know Vindicator originally in, introduced as 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 Guardian and then then the door w- swings wide open later when he introduces you to the entirety of the Alpha Flight Canadian Super Team complete with mutants. You get this killer battle with a Power Man battle, a Power Man villain called Moses Magnum in Japan. You get these incredible Savage Land. Uh, you know, adventures with Sauron and Kazar and Naboo. And it's, it's like your, your mind was completely just taken away. I've told you guys the 1978 journey home where they go from Antarctica, Savage Land, uh, Japan, Canada, and eventually home is just, and, and during that, you got a flashback to Cairo with the early days of Professor Xavier. I mean, these are amazing stories. And then it opens the door to the Hellfire Club. It opens the door to more Sentinels, Days of Future Past, Dark Phoenix, all of those occur. Anybody who was going to be on the X-Men wanted to do repeats of those, wanted to do sequels, wanted to bridge that gap. I myself, uh, as much as I loved and adored what was going on with the X-Men, and there was an entire issue. My my issue that I drew was a parody issue of a DC miniseries, and the issue prior to that, or just prior to that, was Mark Silvestri, uh, a beautifully illustrated issue where they all the women went out shopping. They literally went to a shopping mall, and you had uh, Dazzler, I think Jubilee, Rogue Storm, you know, forgive me if I'm, if I, maybe it's Polaris, but a group of these ladies went shopping in a mall. That was the impetus. That that is this. It, there's an there's an a a classic wizard interview with myself where the interviewer is clearly um, a friend of uh, Louise Simonson and Walt Simonson and really goes at me because he had heard that I had been rewriting 
the plots because the shopping trope, which suddenly became, hey, let's have the new mutants go shopping. I was like, I'm not drawing this. And I called my editor. I go, we've got to make this more exciting. But between Chris and Louise, this, hey, let's have the kids go out shopping. Let's have the girls go out shopping was like that readers didn't want that. They wanted action. They wanted people kicking down doors, kicking, you know, taking names, kicking ass, firing giant weapons, brandishing claws, uh, springing to action, using their powers. They wanted them to use their powers. So when I answer this about the Outback, A, the Outback was great fun. The Australian Adventures. Mark Silvestri drew his ass off, uh, raised the bar for the X-Men artistically way greater than it had been post Paul Smith. Paul Smith comes on, wraps up the brood, introduces, um, you know, the Madeline Pryor thing, gets that, gets that rolling towards what will, what will eventually be the Mr. Sinister and all of that calamity and craziness and open the door to Inferno. Uh, Paul Smith also has the killer wrap-up. He, he himself is doing sequels. What is he doing sequels to? He is doing sequels to the Frank Miller miniseries that everyone had just heralded again a dedicated podcast to that wolverine uh, about the all of the sourcing that that entire episode is sourcing and how a, a best-selling novel informed the miniseries that chris claremont would do with frank miller after talking frank miller into it and that material would be adapted into the wolverine which i believe came out summer what is it 2013 uh bottom line you know paul smith was able to extend the Wolverine miniseries, give you two add-on chapters, in, incorporate greater, um, the, incorporate the cast into the greater X-Men at the time. And uh, and then, you know, he himself, through Madeline Pryor, they get to Dark Phoenix. So we're revisiting Dark Phoenix. Paul Smith's run is largely, uh, has two giant uh, storylines that are sequels to stuff that we had already loved. So the Outback was daring. It was a new direction. That they're in the they're in the they're in Australia. They teleport to and fro. They're in, involved in these different um, interactions. X X Factor, the original core X Men, that's been relaunched with with Walt Simonson uh, at the helm at this time during Mark's time, uh, is is taking place in Central New York, Manhattan. But Mark Chris Claremont wanted to keep moving forward. He wanted to keep doing something new. He didn't want to go backwards. But Jim Lee comes on with his considerable talent and his growing popularity and says, hey, this is what I think we should do. And the editor actually believes that this is the right call. Go back. Battle Magneto. Go to the Savage Land. You know, let's have Kazar. Let's put Rogue in the Savage Land now. Let's have Kazar. Let's have Na- uh, Naboo. Let- let's have the Imperial Guard return. Let's have the Shi'ar return. I mean, it it really was a greatest hits of the John Byrne era now illustrated by Jim Lee a decade later. More than a decade later. and. Uh, we're talking 12, 12, 13 years, uh, depending on which, you know, which story you pin the John Byrne era on. But it was incredibly exciting and, and, and perhaps not as groundbreaking in terms of pushing everything forward. I mean, the X-Men living in the Australian outback and guided by an, orig- an aborigine who would telepa- teleport them to and fro uh, w- w- was, was, was incredibly imaginative. But post Mr. Sinister and the Reavers, the, the way to go was this direction and Jim nailed it. And, and Chris did, left the book shortly thereafter because he didn't want the X-Men to be so action focused. Again, he's taking them out shopping. He's doing entire parody of episodes. So, so what Jim does is realign. He pulls the focus back to what we call the greatest hits era. And the greatest hits era is a spectacular success. So again, I'm just trying to give my honesty. And, you know, one guy came in 
and said, well, thanks for that. But I just wanted to let you know how much I loved the Outback. Yeah, I, I wasn't, we're not debating it. We're saying that that's great. I, I start out with that era was fantastic. And then one gentleman says, uh, hey, thank you for this unique perspective. It's hard to argue with the success that was achieved. Um, again, the, the, the Brood, the Reavers, Mr. Sinister, uh, the Master Moldish episodes, Inferno. Um, you, you got, especially that was the era of the, of the crossover. Got to get a, got to get a crossover, got to pull in new mutants, pull in X Factor, get those sales bumped. They, they, I think Inferno was literally the best X-Men crossover. I would put it above Extinction Agenda. I know that's not popular. That's, 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 um, not a popular, uh, approach, but nobody did not give a hundred percent of, of what they had on Inferno. Walt gave it his all. Uh, uh, and, and Mark gave everything he had in between those two efforts. They carried everything on extinction agenda. As I've said, it was meant to let Jim shine. He got all of the, um, this, this is just stories. Look, sometimes it's not what, sometimes it is not how you are drawing something. It is what you are drawing. If you are getting to draw Wolverine battling Archangel, who's been kind of dangered up to the Wolverine of his own group. And, and and you're getting all of the cool money shots and money moments of a crossover, then you are absolutely benefiting from that. Having read the the the, the plots of, of Extinction Agenda, I just didn't think the New Mutants was carrying its weight story-wise. And that's why I opted out just doing breakdowns on two issues so I can get ready to, to give you New Mutants 98. Do I believe I made the right decision? I do. Was I also pushing something in the new direction? A, a new direction? I was. But there were no greatest hits for the New Mutants, just so you know. There were no greatest hits. New Mutants was kind of a book that was lost from the jump. It had a very unique spike with the Bill Sienkiewicz issues, which I loved. But if you go back in time, they were extremely, extremely polarizing. People were, it was a shock to their system. It, some people would have rather had uh, a very more basic Salvia Sema pencil approach to penciling the book than the very avant-garde, artistic, envelope-pushing work that Bill did. Bill's, Bill's work is just Nothing short of fantastic. The Demon Bear is killer. All the stuff that he did. It was next level illustration. It was a, a, a represented a next breakout for him coming off of Moon Knight. But the audience was very angry. If you were a kid and you got New Mutants, uh, I'm sorry, you got X-Force 8 with the Mignola back then and that mail that you sent in that you were so angry. Why is this guy drawing this book? He's a bad fit. And it was the most uh, negative mail Marvel had ever received on any single title. They were really like shook by it. They were shook. And, and they made certain, I know, they told me when I left to get Liefeld looking people to draw it because they did not want to get that kind of mail again. The same exact reaction was Bill Sienkiewicz on New, New Mutants. Believe me, uh, it was even spoken of in the letters column at the time and in the fan press. So again, um, New Mutants needed to go in a new direction. X-Men fans wanted their greatest hits. And, 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 and Jim Lee, when he got back, did that. Chris not happy to to be doing this kind of more action-driven stories, eventually left. John Byrne comes on, scripts over Jim. Eventually, Scott Lobdell scripts over Jim. And then, of course, Jim is gone and Image Comics is born. But anyway, sourcing. We have sourced two different things. The very popular reflection tropes. Uh, it gave you all sorts of insight into that. Hopefully, you join, you enjoyed the, the, the journey backwards. And as well... This this uh, X Men eras and this debates and and again why you know Mark's stuff was incredibly beautifully illustrated it, it could not have been prettier but it was it's it's not always you know how you are drawing something it is what you are drawing what you are depicting that gets the reaction so woo lot lot of sourcing 
we, we covered a lot of sourcing today. Hope you were um, you enjoyed the extensive ride. I am going to uh, wrap this one up pretty quick because we went pretty <laughs> we went we went uh, we went later than than anticipated. And uh, man, I I really uh, I really in, enjoy the times that you guys uh, again spend. And I love the 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 just just when you you are telling me how much you're enjoying the show. Thank you. That that really gets me back in front of the mic. And and I just enjoy putting this out there. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Gave you something to chew on. Gave you something to consider. Uh, maybe you learned something new today. Hopefully, uh, go all the way back. September 1976. The reflection tropes again. Movie posters. It's everywhere. We can really. I, I could do hours upon hours upon hours. But again, I have run extra long today. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna forego the uh, the the reviews. And bump that to the next time. Very, very rarely do we we bump that. When you leave reviews for this platform, I will generally read them. Um, at the end, thank you so much for for the 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 positive reviews that you leave. Uh, if you can, if you are on social media and different platforms, I am on Twitter at Robert Liefeld. R O B E R T L I E F E L D. I get the whole name. Wasn't able to get Rob Liefeld at Robert Liefeld. The blue check, which has now become a controversial blue check, it's it's a verification of sorts. That's who I am. Um, I love discussing with you, talking with you, going back and forth with the DMs, the uh, the messaging, the the replies. Thank you so much for interacting with me. I I, I so enjoy speaking with all of you on Twitter at Robert Liefeld on Instagram. My photo dump supreme. Uh, you'll see what I'm drawing, how I'm drawing it. You'll see, you'll see what I'm eating, what I'm doing with my family. I'm, I'm living an extremely boring life at the moment, locked down, doing a ton of work because I love making comics and getting comics out to you. And the winter months is when I hibernate. I will show you most of what I'm doing from wherever I'm doing it on my Instagram account, which is at Rob Liefeld. I was able to get at Rob Liefeld. Also has a blue check, a, a form of verification. Again, love your messages, love your um, replies, your mentions, all the all the ways that you communicate with me. Thank you so very much for reaching out to me on Instagram. Follow me over on Instagram at Rob Liefeld. I'm on an app called Whatnot. It's a collectible, a collectible selling app. You want comic books, Funkos, toys, uh, uh, athletic gear. Uh, trading card games, collectible card games, role-playing games. It's on whatnot. I'm Rob Liefeld. Surprise. Again, Rob Liefeld. Follow me on Rob Liefeld. You'll, no, you'll get notifications when I go live to offer you my exclusive variants. We have exclusive variant covers for Spider-Man, Brigade, uh, Deadpool New Mutants that I have done with whatnot that we offer to you exclusively during my live feeds where I sign, customize uh, Funko Pops, toys. Uh, I draw on the windows, those plastic windows. Uh, I, I, I do custom uh, custom signatures. Uh, what is a blood splatter Liefeld chisel? What is a drop shadow chisel? What is a rainbow chisel? Find out. Uh, I, I've got some original art that we, we, we that that we offer and make make its way uh, onto the show as well. So I'm sharing all sorts of stuff over there. Check me out on whatnot. Follow me at Rob Liefeld. You'll get notified when I go live. Uh, trying to to maintain two shows a week. So if you follow me, you'll get a notification. If I'm doing Wednesday, if I'm doing Saturday, if I'm doing Friday, the schedule changes. The the best you can do is follow me over there and wait for the notification about we're gonna when we will schedule a show. And I hope to see, I hope to see you there on Facebook. I have a group. I, it's so fun interacting with all of you and and, and having these discussions go deeper. Uh, Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond is the name of the group. Myself or a gentleman named Terry Sala will be the ones that welcome you in. Rob Liefeld, Marvel, Extreme, and Beyond. If you go and submit, again, Terry Sala is S-A-L-A, S-A-L-A is the last name. He and I are the sole administrators for that group. Hope to see you there. We'll click you in. We have art contests and an ongoing, never-ending discussion of, of 
all the comic books. So, so join us over Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. The end of the show, I just want to make sure that you are uh, feeding your spiritual, physical, emotional, and mental self by getting away, watching a great show, reading a great novel, having, having fun times with friends. Maybe it's a bike ride. Maybe it's a hike. Okay. I, I try and pair it with some great food. Uh, you know, uh, who, who doesn't want a, a chocolate cake? Okay. Uh, I'm raising my hand. I want chocolate cake. I want it right now. Can I have it? Uh, who doesn't want those damn big cups? Do you know that they are now putting Pringles in the big cups? They are putting, um, cereal. They're, 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 they're putting like chocolate puff cereal in, in, in the, in the, what they are doing with candy. The innovations with candy deserve a, uh, a, a, a notice alone. If you got this far, if you didn't turn it off at the end and you got this far after my plugs, uh, you shout it out and you, and you talk to me because the things that they are doing, you can get pretzels inside your big cup. You can get chips inside your, your, uh, Pringles lays inside your chips. You can get cereal puffs. Uh, I mean, it, there's no end that <laughs> they have Reese's pieces. That, that seems logical to me, but I mean, what are they going to put in the big cups next? I'm fully engaged. I'm eating, um, more than my fair share and have for the last decade. The big cup is where it's at. I try and pair that with a good comic book, a good graphic novel, a great omnibus. You guys feed your imaginations, feed your art and, 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 and feel yourself relax and escape before you have to return to the grind. That is what I am rooting. I am rooting for you. I am looking out for you. Go out with your friends. Have a great big giant damn Chicago style pizza, New York style pizza. We've got these, you know, great eateries here that do just that in Southern California and bring those cities here to me. And they're pretty damn good. Uh, go have gourmet tacos like me. I love, oh, ask Marat. First place we go, gourmet tacos. Guys, food, comics, does it get better than that? That is what I am uh, supposing to you, you know, not as many sports outlets right now. Football's gone. You're going to need more of those escapes and more of whatever they are putting in the Reese's Big Cup. I'm going to be here. We're going to be back. I will be right here in this chair waiting to talk to you. Please swing back around. Talk to me. We will most definitely, absolutely, inevitably speak again real soon.